1: Hi, and welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. Today's episode is focusing on young people's emotional and mental health, in which Angie Weber is here to share some of her wisdom. Angie is the creator of the Parent Toolbox and a mom of twins. Angie, would you like to say hi to our audience and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, yes. Thank
2: you so much, Lori, for having me on your podcast today. Um, yeah, my name is Angie Weber. I have seven-year-old twins, so we're a little bit out of the puberty years, but I know they're coming fast. So I'm I'm excited. I've been listening to your podcast already, so I already have some good tools to add to that toolbox for when that time comes. But my background really started in about 2016. I started going around and educating people about more natural options for their home and their family, focused mostly on the physical health of our families and so that we can help hopefully avoid you know long-term side effects of toxins that are in our home and things like that fast forward a few years and previous to the pandemic i went through some personal trauma and that led me on this whole other kind of healing journey for more of the emotional and mental health um, aspect of everything and so i attended some programs went through some trainings to just help better understand what's going on in our in our bodies and in our mind when we're feeling certain ways and how to deal with our emotions. Um, And especially as mental health issues are are on the rise with the pandemic and things like that, I started really leaning into not only the physical aspect of health, but also the emotional and mental um, aspect as well. And we started applying a lot of those teachings to our kids. And I just saw these really great results with that. So I, of course, could not share it with other people. And so I was kind of, you know, just talking one-on-one, I did a few classes about, you know, how we can better understand emotions. And I was getting a lot of feedback from parents, specifically moms, most of the time saying things like, wow, I wish I would have known this stuff, or I never knew that this was even a thing or from moms who are way past the puberty stage that maybe have, you know, older children that were saying, wow, I really wish someone would have told me this when I had younger kids, because I'm afraid that if you ask my kids, all I did was yell. That's all they think I did. So it's just sent me on this huge um, passion and mission to help again break those generations of how we're approaching things like emotion and mental health, so that we can prepare our kids better in the future, so that they can be more adjusted with their emotions and mental health, and of course, adding in that physical health as well, which you know all
1: ties together. Excellent, and thank you so much for being here. I'm looking forward to our discussion today for sure. Now, in the health education classroom because I, I train future health teachers and I'm a former school health teacher in the health classroom we separate that emotional and mental health we define it as the following emotional is really about those feelings identifying those feelings just overall I mean that's a huge thing in itself identifying feelings and there's so many different feelings out there in which no feelings are bad they're not bad they happen and they tell us things the mental health aspect is about how we decide, to cope with those feelings. And sometimes we don't always have those tools about the variety of ways we can cope or make decisions. So would you say that's how you also identify emotional and mental health?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm huge on, and I'm sure we'll get into it more in our discussion is being able to give younger people, you know, starting from my kids, you know, seven years old, all the way up and even younger than that, different resources and tools to help manage those emotions to deal with their mental health. Because when we aren't taught those, you know, safe, healthy resources, what ends up happening most of the time as we get older is we stuff them and we use a survival resources to numb them out. And, you know, Of course, that can go as far and extreme as like addiction and alcoholism and, but it can also show up in other ways like shopping addictions and bad relationships with food, you know, and all these different aspects so if we don't start at the younger age. It's going to be really hard and it's more challenging when we're older and have to go through it and feel like, oh, now I have to do all this repair work to change my mindset around that. So it makes me so excited and happy that this is the turn that even, you know, public education is happening with health classes where we're more open about mental health and emotions and how to deal with that versus just, hey, this is the kind of food we should be eating on your plate, you know, when you get into college and things like that. Um, Because it goes so so much deeper. There's so much I could say, but I'll, I'll let, I'll let the interview continue.
1: <laughs> what are some things that you've learned about emotions in children? So throughout raising your two twins, as well as all the trainings you've participated in.
2: Absolutely. So I love how you said that all emotions aren't bad. And again, one of my missions is to help break this generational cycle. And it's not putting shame on anyone for what has been happening, but we typically teach how our parents taught us and they teach how their parents taught them. And so I can look back at my childhood and I had an amazing childhood. My parents are loving and they're very supportive in so many ways. And I had a great childhood. And I can also see how when it came to emotions and mental health and hard conversations, it was very much we're not going to talk about that. So then I can see how patterns developed later on in my life that when things got hard or I went through different troubles or traumas, what I would do is I would stuff those feelings and not process them. But what I would do is rather over function. So I would get my to-do list out. I would feel like I needed to add more to my plate and that would never allow me to really heal from what had happened. And so when I see my kids, and especially as I was going through my own healing journey, of course, the pandemic had a drastic effect on all of us. As adults, we didn't know how to handle it, especially at the beginning. And so I think that made a really great opportunity for there to be a different conversation about mental health. But I also think a lot of the time the kids kind of got left behind because we're so used to just being, wanting to tell them, you know, no, this is how you should feel about it. No, you shouldn't be upset about this kind of attitude about it. And so when I saw my kids' emotions getting... Fairly heightened, and it was more of my daughter I saw it coming out. There was a lot more crying and rolling around on the floor and things like that. I really wanted to approach it with not why are you doing this you shouldn 't be acting this way with. It's okay to feel this way. And we need to figure out how we can calm our body and mind down. And so being able to have those open conversations with them of understanding that they're little humans, they don't know what's going on in their body. Just like we as adults don't understand all the time, what's going on in our body, unless we've really tuned in and. And figure it out like, oh, this means that I'm getting anxious because my stomach is starting to tighten up or, you know, my brain is processing way more thoughts than I can even handle right now. And so being able to, again, teach these children, whether they're seven or they're 13 or 17 on how to really lean in and process those emotions and start understanding the cues that are happening is going to be able to set them up with those resources so that they can handle it better and more effectively when other challenges come their way.
1: You just reminded me of so many things. So it's, it's so nice to be connected with you. The um, what's interesting is for me, when I was growing up, it, it was the environment of children are to be seen and not heard. Yep. And so having feelings it's, well, it didn't necessarily matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly it was better than my parents' generation. So we're continuously getting better yet that's still kind of happening that, well, yeah, they're kids and you're supposed to feel this way as a child. But the sooner we can allow children to understand there's a variety of feelings and to note where they're like, where they're in their bodies and how to cope. And this is even before puberty because during puberty, we can get moodier due to all the hormonal releases that are going on, the increase of testosterone and estrogen, progesterone, et cetera, that to have young people have these tools before that is great. If they haven't been given the tools yet, then during puberty or after puberty, whoever's listening in, you can always get these tools. So that's that's so great. Have you heard of the growth mindset? I have not heard of that one. Because it's something that we teach at the college level and we're, we're teaching too at middle school and high school about when something happens, instead of looking at your body like, oh, like I'm having an anxiety attack and oh, this is like really bad quote unquote, it's no, let's, let's take away that word bad and let's use it as a tool as my body is in, is preparing me for something what's going on here. And it's to connect with your body. And when we, what the research is telling us is that when we can use our body feelings like anxiety as more as a tool, we're more successful and healthier.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's a very interesting um, aspect on it. And I totally agree with that. I feel like that fits in really well with a lot of the time I talk about the window of tolerance. I'm not sure if you guys have talked about that on your show or not. Would you tell us more about that? Because we haven't talked about it really. Absolutely. So this is one of the biggest tools that I learned that again, I've tried to pass on to my children in more of a childlike way, because of course we need to make sure it's age appropriate, but the window of tolerance was developed by Dan Siegel, who's a clinical professor. And really what it is, it's to track where we are thriving and it's to track our uh, stimulation. So the best way that I can describe it for your listeners, since we can't show them necessarily, is that I want you to pretend that you're standing in front of a window when you're standing straight up and confidently in front of that window, you can see everything that's going on outside. And this again is where we're thriving. We're able to communicate clearly. We're able to receive, we're able to give. And during that time, even when we're standing in front of that window, we might get a little heightened or lowered. Like we might have a little spike in one thing, or we might dip down a little, and that's totally normal because that is life. If we didn't have those kind of emotion changes, you know, life would be pretty boring. Right. But what we want to do is really track to see when we're getting outside of that window. So there are, two different areas that you can go into. One is hyper arousal. And I like to call that high activation for ease of use. And that is kind of similar to if you're bouncing off the ceiling, you're not going to be able to see out that window clearly. Now I know for me personally, when I get into hyper arousal, I get very anxious. I get really fidgety. My leg will, if I'm sitting down, will go up and down my brain. Again, it's just throwing so many thoughts at me that I can't slow them down. Now on the other end, I can also go into hypo arousal. And I know when there's certain situations where I tend to go very, very quickly to hypo arousal or low activation. And this can be thought of as if you were laying on the floor, when you're laying on the floor, you can't see out that window. And so again, for my personal cues, I know it's when I start feeling very heavy and kind of slow and where it seems like it's even a struggle to do body movements. And I also know that my brain is just kind of stalled and frozen. I'm kind of like, I don't even know what I'm thinking right now. I can't communicate what I'm thinking. And so I've been really able to tune into that for every aspect of my life, whether it's something that has to do with work, if it has something to do with my different relationships or my marriage. And also it has come in so handy in parenting because now I'm able to stop and pause and decide what do I want to do next versus going into that hyper or high activation and possibly, you know, getting angry or, you know, yelling or demanding that my kids do one thing or another. And so I've really used that a lot to be able to, again, really tune into my body, because as you were saying, like when the growth mindset, when we're getting anxious, we can use that as a tool to figure out what are we going to do next? What is my body preparing me for? And I just think a lot of times we're again, not taught that we're not taught to tune into our body because when our stomach starts feeling anxious, we just instantly want to go, oh, I don't like that feeling. I'm going to, I'm going to just avoid it. I'm going to stuff it down. And I'm just going to pretend like it's not happening in a lot of situations. And again, that's where it can lead on to bigger problems.
1: That's really interesting because you have the website, the parent toolbox, and I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. Yet the window of tolerance, it's also that whole thing of like recognizing that you're reacting, like how can we be more present and note that we're reacting, but instead of being reactive, how can we be creative? I don't know if you ever saw that the word creative when you move the C. No, you move the C from reactive to the front. So you see things differently. You can be creative. I love that. No, I've never seen that before. Because that's you. That's totally you. And that window of tolerance, what you just explained that that fits with that. And is that one of the tools in the toolbox, like on your on your website, the parent toolbox? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, I was really focusing
2: on like the natural products and how people can bring those in. Cause especially as you were saying, you know, during puberty hormones and everything are just, you know, they're going crazy and wild. And a lot of us don't realize how much toxins can, um, actually affect how our hormone levels are and it can help imbalance, which can bring up lots of stress and mood swings and everything like that. Um, and then once I started on this journey of kind of tying in my love of that aspect with this more information of the things that I've learned and we've applied. To our own kids, um, I really develop the parent toolbox as a way for parents to get some more creative ideas. Now I'm not a perfect parent. I don't think anyone is a perfect parent. And I'm very <laughs> real about that. I share stories all the time about how my kids are like, well, you did this mom. And I was like, yeah, I probably should have done something differently, but it's just a place for parents to go to, to find out more information and different approaches to parenting. So I have different educational classes on there. I have some full length classes, but I think again, through the pandemic, a lot of people, uh, their attention spans are not uh, the greatest. And so we also have mini tools. And so on there, they're short videos, they're 15 minutes or less, and they go through different topics like this. So we have one about the window of tolerance on there. So you can learn more about that. We have one about um, just emotions in general. I have one on there about cognitive distortion. So the ways that we're thinking that are often untrue, so we can start identifying those. Mm -hmm. And so it's just quick information for parents, again, to be able to listen to and to approach parenting in a different way. And that is starting with themselves too. not just putting it on the kids to be like, well, this is what you should be tracking. Good luck with that. No, we need to be doing it as a whole family as well.
1: Because modeling is so critical. Absolutely.
2: Kids are sponges. And I laugh because... <laughs> okay. There's so many times that my daughter will say something and prior to all the learning that I've done over the last, you know, couple of years, I would have maybe gotten upset with that before of like, well, where'd you hear that? And now I, again, I can stop and I can say, all right, Hmm. yep. I understand why you're picking (laughs) up on that lingo or why you're reacting that way. It's because. I did that at one point or the other, I was modeling that behavior. And I think it's really easy for us to get upset with that and versus taking accountability for ourselves and thinking, well, we need to step back and kind of change how we're approaching the situation. But a lot of times we just put it on our kids of like, you shouldn't be saying that you shouldn't be doing that. So yes, they're sponges.
1: <laughs> and I love that you have these bite-sized educational videos in which, as Angie just said, there's one on tools for tracking and managing emotions, identifying and challenging the cognitive distortion. Is that the correct name of that one? Yep. Cognitive distortion. So negative thinking. Okay. And then understanding and tracking the window of tolerance. And then you also have a short one on the essential oil basics.
2: Yep. Yep. That's a tool that we use a lot um, when we're dealing with emotions, especially obviously um, they can help on the he- on the physical health side, but when we smell essential oils and we're using pure essential oils, it's actually working with our olfactory bulb in our nose and it's sending signals to our brain that deals with moods and emotions. So it's a really quick way to be able to heighten your emotions. If you're feeling down or to kind of help relieve those anxiousness thoughts. Um, and so I do a lot of teaching on how we can pair essential oils with other resources even because that can lead us into error. Aromatic anchoring. So a lot of us already have these aromatic anchors where let's say, for example, you date someone in high school when you're going through puberty and it's 10 years down the road and you walk past someone who has the same cologne or perfume on as they did. It instantly, you know, evokes an emotion or a memory. Now it might not always be the best emotion or memory, but it's still in our brain there. And so what we can do is when we're dealing with these different emotions and resources, we can use things like essential oils to pair with it so that next time when we smell that essential oil, it can help us bring us back to more of that window of tolerance and that sweet spot that we want to be in more quickly and effectively.
1: Have you heard of the research about grapefruit, the scent of grapefruit as you're studying and then to wear that that oil when you're taking the test because it helps with the recall?
2: Interesting. I don't know if I've heard about grapefruit, but that might be because grapefruit is not my favorite. Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't (laughs) like grapefruit very much, but, um, I have heard of other ones like wild orange and peppermint, for example, are really great for focus and great for kind of heightening and things like that. So there's a lot of them out there. And of course I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not giving any medical advice. That's not the purpose of this, but essential oils are very similar to when we go to the doctor and you try a medication, it might work really well for you might not work so well for me. And so it's kind of that a journey of figuring out what scent is best for me, what reacts best with my body and my chemistry of my body.
1: Now on your website, you have other classes. They're longer classes. And like there's the parent toolbox for it's called resources and tools to help your children with emotions. And people can sign up for that. And I know that there's some free printouts and it looks like they deal with emotions on there. Do you want to tell us more about any of those courses?
2: Yeah. So the emotions one was actually the one that kind of snowballed into the parent toolbox, kind of pivoting the focus of what I was doing, because again, so many parents were like, wow, I wish they would teach this. I wish they, you know, I knew about this before. And so with the emotions class yes, you can watch the full length class. You can learn all about the window of tolerance and more extensiveness. We can learn about different things and how to approach it. But the main huge part of that is those resources that we can start teaching our kids. And so this was what ended up happening in our home one day is my daughter was very emotional because she decided we do a lot of choices in our house too. I think that's a big thing that parents don't want to necessarily do because I think there's this concept of, well, I have to have parental power and I need to tell them exactly what to do. And they should listen to me because I'm their parent. And of course we want our kids to respect us, but just like us, kids love choices. So we can give them two choices and that's not only teaching them that they have those choices, but it's also teaching them that there are consequences to each choice. Sometimes it's a good consequence, sometimes it's not a good consequence. And so when my daughter chose a choice that she did not like the consequence of it was tears. It was hiding under the table. It was pouting all these different things. And so what I did is I printed out these sheets with different emotions. So they say on there, like when I'm feeling angry, when I'm feeling sad, when I'm feeling like I'm overstimulated, what are some things I can do? And so we sat together as a family and we just went through a list and said, all right, when we're feeling angry, what are some things we can do, to be able to calm our body and mind. Okay, well, we can do a breathing exercise, we could go in color for a few minutes, we could do five jumping jacks, we could um, listen to some happy music, we could scream into a pillow, as long as they're not harming themselves, anyone else or property, like there are definitely a lot of ways that we can be able to release and process that emotion. And so what, after we were done with these resources, we actually hung them up in our pantry and again, we're all the working progress. And so me, even as a parent, it was right before cub scouts one night. And I saw my daughter go to the pantry. Cause she was not happy with me about something. And uh, I saw her in the pantry and instantly my brain went to why is she in the pantry? I told her we were going to be eating in five minutes. Like, why is she in there digging for a snack? But I paused and I just observed. And really what she was doing is she opened up the pantry to try figure out what resource can I use right now, because this is how I'm feeling. And so she closed the pantry and I saw her take a few laps around our house. And later on, I acknowledged her for that. And I said, you know, Addie, you did a really good job. I'm really excited to see that you use those resources. And she goes, yep, mom, I was gonna, you know, cuddle with the stuffed animal, but I decided to take a walk around the house because that was exercise. So I got some exercise in too. And so again, just being able to use them as a second nature of like, this isn't weird, like crazy stuff that takes a lot of time. It's just these little simple resources that we can start teaching our kids on how to process their emotions when they're coming up. And again, knowing that it's okay to feel angry and we can use these tools to help calm our body and mind.
1: Excellent. And do you know that I just gave the following quote to my students that are going to be interning in the fall. And the quote was, they had to figure out what it meant. Like, tell me what it meant. The quote was, you have more control over your decisions than your consequences. Mm. Because the reality is like, we, we want to have them understand they can make decisions. Yet once they make a decision, they need to be aware of all the different types of consequences. We don't always have control over those. So how do we cope when we have something like you just said, those printouts sound great. And those are available on your website. Is that correct?
2: Those are for free on the website. Um, You can download those. There's some ones about the cognitive distortions and boundaries and things like that as well. But yep, lots of different freebies that parents can, can grab up on there.
1: Excellent. Now, we spoke about how parents can definitely practice modeling healthier behaviors, or when you partake in an unhealthy behavior, say, okay, I made a mistake, and that we learn from it and get past it. Uh, We can provide like these worksheets that you're saying and help young people process, well, how am I feeling? And then how do I cope with these feelings? Is there anything else you recommend for a parent or other caregiver that best supports their own mental and emotional health or their children's? mental and emotional health?
2: Yeah, well, again, modeling it is one thing, making sure it's a family activity. Again, we can't put it on our kids to do this and expect them to be you know, perfectly fine with it. And then we're still doing the same old, same old. Um, but as adults, it can be really hard to dig into those emotions. And a lot of shame can come up with those emotions. If you're starting to feel upset or if you're starting to feel sad, maybe as a child, you were told, no, you shouldn't feel that way. And so it can be really challenging as adults to step into that. And so I just encourage people to really explore that, whether that means you're just kind of doing journaling or tracking your activation a few times a day, or if you're, yeah, seeking professional help with it and really digging into that, you know, whatever is going to help you be more uh, emotionally Aware of what's going on in your body. Um, and that also can really tie into those boundaries too. You know, a lot of people will say all the time, well, you just need to have boundaries. Well, yes, boundaries are important, but we need to see what kind of boundaries do we have? Are we overbounded with people where or situations where we're not letting anyone in? Are we underbounded? Which is where I definitely sat for a lot of my life where I would say yes to everything. Or do we have this healthy flexible where it's fluid, it's not rigid, and it's going to change based on situations and people and circumstances and all those types of things. So really looking at that and also the cognitive distortion stuff is so important for adults to know. Because we have these negative ways of thinking, and especially as parents with mom guilt that comes up, you know, we can think, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid because I forgot to pick up stuff for dinner tonight. Well, no, you're feeling that way, but it doesn't mean that it's true. And the more that we can start recognizing that, we can start passing it on to our kids of... Actually, our brain plays tricks on us sometimes. And here's some evidence to show us that you got a bad grade in math. That doesn't mean you're bad. That doesn't mean you're not intelligent. This is the evidence to prove otherwise. And especially with teenagers, with having social media and all of the just a horrible things sometimes that they think of themselves because of this comparison trap, you know, as we can start teaching those types of things, it's going to be better on in the long run. So they have more of that self-esteem. And so again, it, it there's so many pieces to the puzzle um, to really help kind of make this change throughout the generations, but it does have to start with the parents and trickle down to the kids.
1: We can be really hard on ourselves. Can't we?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I always say, you know, with Pinterest example, like as moms, you know, they, (laughs) we think that we have to have the perfect birthday party and we have to do all this crazy stuff to make sure our children have the greatest childhood and everything is picture perfect. And while we love to be able to provide for our kids and give them this good experience, our job as parents is to prepare them for life and to make sure they're good humans. And part of preparing them for life is to really help them understand how to deal with hardships and rejection and traumas and things like that, that are going to eventually come up because it is life and those things happen. And we are not going to always be able to fix those for them. So we need to give them tools at a younger age to be able to do that. And it's not necessarily about having that picture perfect first birthday. That's going to make the difference in their world. It's being able to prepare them for these other things that are, that are ahead of them.
1: Yeah. Well, if there are some young people listening in, what advice do you have for them? So, besides tuning into your
2: emotions and really like understanding them and being okay with sitting in them and being uncomfortable with them, if I was able to do this at a younger age, oh my gosh, I feel like I'd be so much further along than I am now. Um, but the other advice that I've gotten um, that is one of my favorite quotes it's all of me with me all of them with them. And it's really trying to understand, like, I have control over me and my decisions and my actions, and I can't let what other people think or their decisions and actions affect how I'm going to live my life. And it's just been so empowering to understand that, again, we have control over what we think, of how we feel, how we react, the choices we make, the consequences that we deal with. And it's not our responsibility or ability to
1: take control over someone else's. Excellent. Now, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, Angie, how can they do that?
2: Yeah. So they can go to my website. It is theparenttoolbox.info. And they can also follow me on Instagram on the
1: Toolbox. Wonderful. And is there anything else you'd like to say before we end today's episode?
2: No, I just appreciate you having me on. I get so passionate about talking about this stuff with people because again, you know, we can be hard on ourselves. And sometimes I'm like, do people really want to hear this? And then I'll get a mom that messages me and she's like, wow, you know, so much about this, or this was so helpful, or I can't wait to start applying these. And so I just, I feel very honored and gracious that I'm able to use um, this kind of platform and team up with other amazing people who are making changes um, specifically with you, with the health stuff that you're teaching and kind of reworking the curriculum. um, So that again, we can have healthier, happier kids.
1: Well, I thank you so much for your, your time today. And my lasting impression that I get from you and from your, your positive energy is that you provide this message to parents and other caregivers of you're not the only one you're, you're not alone. So please, you know, like there's resources out there, but realize parenting, raising children is challenging.
2: Absolutely. And again, having those real conversations and not, that's what's come up a lot for me, not having this facade of, oh, we're the perfect family. We're the perfect parent because what, where does that really lead you? People don't want to tell you then what's going on in their life. They don't want to be real with you because they think you're going to judge them versus hey, I'll tell you that, you know, I'm not the perfect parent that sometimes my emotions do take over and I have to go apologize to my kids. Like, let's have a conversation about that. Let's have a conversation about what's going on and how your kids are struggling with this so that we can have deeper conversations versus the surface level stuff of, oh yeah, everything's great and fine. My family's good. How about yours? And so it's just, it's helping change that conversation for all of us in general.
1: Well, thank you again for being here today, Angie. I really have enjoyed speaking with you and I will put links into today's description. So if people want to connect with you, they can, they can click on those links and get to you. So I'll make sure that's there. And for our listeners listening in, thank you so much for being here today. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to go to pubertyprof.com. You can send me a message through that website, or you can send me an email at pubertyprof at gmail.com. Thank you again for being here today and listening in and remember to attempt to practice those healthy coping skills that Angie noted today. So again, thank you, Angie Weber, for being here today. And for everybody, I hope that you have a happy and healthy day.
0: Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow The Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information as well as ask questions to be answered by The Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book common questions children ask about puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.